the guy selling it discovered a tiny flaw in the clock. He wouldn't tell me what it was, and he tried to put me off buying it, but I've bought it anyway. And at this point, I'm already smiling reading it, like, oh yeah, this is so good. (laughs) (laughs) This is the way it's gonna be. That's like, what happened here then? And Tara just says, oh, Michael was messing around with the clock and I tried to stop him. In a Halloween costume. Yeah! And it's not mentioned! In the same tone of voice as Marcellus Wallace would say, he takes a dive in the ninth. He takes a, he's carrying the cake, alright? He he's carrying the cake. He takes a dive with the cake. <laughs> ah, good evening. And welcome to the Shark Live Royal Halloween Spooky Special! Woo! I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And as we do every year, uh, when this time comes around of Halloween, we record a special podcast on a spooky story. Um, It can be, you know, it can be the classics like Edgar Allan Poe. It can be the modern classics like Stephen King. Or it can be another one from this series that we're doing this week. We're going back to the bumps. The Goosebumps. (laughs) <laughs> I I worry that we're kind of elevating Goosebumps a bit too high by doing two on the bounce because we we've done like what have we done two or three Stephen Kings and Edgar Allan Poe mm. and like it's not as if Stephen King's oeuvre lacks other options for us but we've <laughs> we've now done as many Goosebumps as we've done Stephen King and I'm not <laughs> sure that reflects terribly well on us and Edgar Allan Poe actually because we did two Poes as well didn't we oh but that's now- true yeah, back to the Stein, and it's this one's called. This one is. This book is called the Cuckoo Clock of Doom, and I've never read it before. But I so picked it because my other half said this book was so scary that you had to call her mum and get her to bring her home because <laughs> she was so upset after reading it. I think it was a can, few years ago. I was going to say, can I ask how old was she at the time? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think it was a few years ago. I hope so. But then uh, something that I read in this book gave me cause to question that, but we'll, we'll get to that. We did one day at Horrorland, which is yes. another Goosebumps book, a, a couple of yes. years ago, and and you said you were you didn't read many as a as a child, so this must be new to you as well. Oh, very much. I think we we can pretty much take that as read across any Halloween episode we ever do, is that I definitely have not engaged even with the classics of horror fiction. And without wanting to diss anybody's beloved childhood memories, Goosebumps is not classic horror fiction. So <laughs> I de- I de- if, I, if I didn't get to the flipping uh, The Shining, then I definitely didn't get to this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, we had a lot of fun doing... Um doing one day at Horrorland, so I was looking forward to this. Yes, and, um, very much. Yeah, because th- th- the things we loved about Horrorland, uh, cliffhanger at the end of every chapter, and often cliffhanger resolved, like, in a ridiculous way at the very in, start in, of the next one. <laughs> the least, like, dramatically satisfying way. Like, what was it? I think, I, do we count that one day in Horrorland has, like, 60, bu- 60 chapters or something? All of them about <laughs> 19 syllables each. And, <laughs> and and almost all of them like ended with a cliffhanger that would resolve with somebody going, and then I turned the lights on and it turned out only to be a bit of paper flapping in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Um, yeah. 
I haven't been able to work out as well whether because the, the other person in in the annals of world literature that has mastered the art of the anticlimactic cliffhanger um, is of course Dan Brown, who's uh, who's mag- magnum opus, uh, the Da Vinci Code we did a while back, and I can't work out whether R.L. Stein is better than Dan Brown or not. And I'm, I'd be interested to <laughs> hear what you think about that once we get to the end of this one, because I can't quite decide. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. The Cuckoo Clock of Doom, Chapter 1. We meet Michael. Um, 11, he's 12, and he's arguing with his sister, Tara, who's 7, who's always getting him into trouble. We're going to return to this theme through the book. Um, <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really yeah. got... I really got the feeling that R.L. Stein writing this younger younger sister character was really drawn on some fairly serious trauma, as we'll see throughout the whole... <laughs> like, not a lot of dimensions to this Tara character, it has to be said. <laughs> no, I mean, I, we'll, yeah, we'll get more into sort of her character as we go, but I would say that she has a pretty much a pathological hatred of her brother, <laughs> and she yeah. might actually be an evil genius in the making. Well, I mean, so we'll see how she acts, and I, I will we'll hold that up to scrutiny because I have other opinions about Tara as a character. But we'll get there. Also, mum and dad always take her side, and it starts here, um, and it's sort of the first time in the start of chapter one. It kind of seems quite realistic in that. Oh yeah, you know, she might have just misunderstood. But as we get again, as we go further on, it, you get the impression that like her mum, like Michael's mum and dad, might actually just hate him. <laughs> well, I have a theory about this, but we should do a couple of rounds of Tara's the worst human being in the history of the universe before I crack out my particular theory on why his parents act the way they act. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so there's a there's this little row, and then um, Michael's dad shows up <laughs> carrying a massive antique cuckoo clock, and uh, and the story is so um, it, as he arrives with it, and um, they all look at it. And he tells this story about, like, um, th- yeah, I really wanted to buy this for a while. And then the guy selling it discovered a tiny flaw in the clock. He wouldn't tell me what it was. And he tried to put me off buying it, but I've bought it anyway. And at this point, I'm already smiling reading it. Like, oh, yeah, this is so good. <laughs> this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> So I have a question for you about this cuckoo clock sort of motif. Yeah. Because so obviously there needs to be some kind of eldritch horror from the nameless beyond that's introduced into a story. Or in this case, uh, a piece of clockwork from <laughs> Germany. You notice that? that that's, how, that's how he got like the really like creepy oldie-worldie feel. It's like, it's from the Black Forest in <laughs> Germany. Ah! <laughs> they do they do love a cuckoo clock over there, though. I, I was in the Black Forest in Germany a couple of years oh, ago. Really? And, yeah, they have these shops which are just just full of cuckoo clocks. It's all you can buy is, is cuckoo clocks. Really? Yeah, yeah, they love well, it. I have displayed my ignorance there, then, because in my brain, I thought it was Switzerland where all the cuckoo clocks came from, and I thought that R.L. Stein was just reaching out for sort of something vaguely oldie-worldy sounding. I know, Germany, bit frightening, in it? <laughs> Black Forest, woo. Uh, but if you're telling me that's legit, I, I might have to reassess my response to this entire book. Well, I think traditionally it is, it, you know, you do think Switzerland, 
But I know when we went through a couple of years ago, we, um, me and my brother did a sort of little drive through, and there was a there was a town that was just yeah they were make lo- making loads of cuckoo clocks. So there you go. What can I cool. say? It was a place where they, because we got a, we got a Black Forest Gatto there as well. Those are two things that you could get in that town. <laughs> you can get Black Forest Gatto and a cuckoo clock. A cuckoo can clock. you get Matt a cuckoo clock made out of Black Forest Gatto, or indeed? A black forest gato in the shape of a cuckoo clock. Can you get either of those things? <laughs> of course, yeah. But if you if you turn one of the black cherries round, <sighs> dangerous things happen. Dangerous. You start driving backwards down the autobahn, and nobody needs that, Matt. Nobody needs that. <laughs> um, yeah. So this this story is so good. From like the, uh, uh, the I just just imagining this like the antique shop owner going, uh, "There's a tiny flaw in it. Oh, what is it? I can't tell you. Right. Uh, well, I'll buy it then." You cannot buy it. Why not? I can't tell you. Like, why is it for sale? I don't know. Well, I'm going to buy I, it. Okay. It's, it's, it's unclear to me. Uh, I just don't know. Terrible things will happen, sir. I am here to fulfill my role Ooh. as the voice of portentous. <laughs> now, there's a. Here's where I had questions. Um. And I don't know if in the version of your book what this said, but there's a little year dial on the clock. Oh, yeah. And and the year, in my book anyway, is set to 2015. Yeah, me too. I actually went and looked at the copyright notice on it because I was like, that's a bit odd. Because in yeah. my brain, Goosebumps is an extremely mid-90s phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like, they started coming <laughs> yeah. out when I was like sort of 10, 11. Um, and so just the... I- and and the the book is written in such a way. I mean, there's a bit at the end where it is clearly taking place in 2015, um, and I therefore have questions about your other half and like <laughs> because that's three years ago, and you know she's a grown up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, so when, my when... question is, from where did her mum have to come and pick her up? That's <laughs> that's the question I have. Yeah, when she said I was terrified of this book when I was younger, I didn't think she meant when I was in my mid twenties. But <laughs> I read it three years ago. <laughs> I mean, I maybe we should get her on to sort of to give an account of exactly the the true horror of the thing, so we can try and recreate those circumstances and see if it scares us next time. I don't want to assume anything, by the way. I I was not on the edge of my seat during this narrative. <laughs> Um, now they said, well, "Well, we'll get some more clues later on about when this book may have actually been written." But um, there's a there's a bit of a warning as well, where the dad says, "You know, don't touch the clock." And at six o'clock, this little cuckoo sort of like appears, as cuckoo clocks do on the hour, and chirps. And Michael goes, oh, "It's alive, cliffhanger." <laughs> We're back in there. I love the idea. I mean, this is this is pretty horrifying, but then it is Halloween. But if it actually had been alive, not in a sort of weird, undead, reanimated sort of a way, but just literally the reason the guy didn't want to sell him this cuckoo clock is that he'd broken the original perfectly crafted, nicely painted wooden cuckoo. And in a moment of complete madness, he'd replaced it with a living cuckoo. <laughs> and come down the next morning, just, what have I done? What if there's a bird in that? I've got to get him out of there immediately. And then the door's just... Ding! Good morning, sir. I'm here to buy that cuckoo clock from you. You can't have it. No way. Absolutely not. There's no... Um, why not? 
I, I can't tell. It's against There's the law. There's a tiny floor. <laughs> There's, <laughs> There's a, a living bird in it. <laughs> There's a tiny floor. It's been looked after for 25 years by a complete cretin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, chapter two, it's not alive, Dave. Um, it's oh. a classic R.L. Stein cliffhanger. <laughs> that's, um. that's it, isn't it? The classic R.L. Stein cliffhanger is, here is a statement which makes you scared. Turns out that statement was completely false. Not like a twist, not like looking at it from a different different direction. Just a 12-year-old whose first response to a cuckoo clock is to assume that the cuckoo is alive. <laughs> it's just not. It's just, you know, attractively painted. <laughs> Uh, no, the uh, the this is where the dad talks about it's from the Black Forest. You know, the antique dealer says it's enchanted, and you could use the clock to time travel if you knew the secret. And Mum immediately says, "Oh well, yeah, he's always talking bollocks, though, isn't he? So don't worry about it." But I'm not so yeah. sure, Dave. Every <laughs> <laughs> it would be a fairly short narrative, wouldn't it, if the sceptical mum turned out to be right in this particular case. <laughs> yeah. This is like, yeah, and so I did everything I could to it, and yeah, there was no travelling back in time or anything. It was just, you know, just a clock. But it freaked me <laughs> out that one time, so I thought I'd better write a book about it. Yeah. Uh, they then have dinner. Uh, it's pasta and broccoli for tea. I've just put a little sad face next to that. <laughs> that is sad face, isn't it? Like, broccoli <laughs> does not go well with pasta. Pasta does not go well with broccoli. I like that R.L. Stein takes the opportunity in this dinner scene to sort of put the boot in on healthy eaters everywhere, though. Like the idea that because it's because the whatever is that Michael's mum is supposed to be like a kind of health food nut. And I saw the two things that I find really revealing about this. I assume R.L. Stein must now be sort of knocking on a little bit. He must be fairly old. Mm. And I love, therefore, that in his brain, first of all. All health food eaters are like joyless bastards. <laughs> and secondly, that health food, what constitutes health food, is pasta and broccoli with extra parmesan cheese on top. Like, <laughs> Steiny baby, what do you eat when you're not eating health food? Is my question. <laughs> yeah, I was Put a bit say. more cheese on top there. That's the health <laughs> stuff there. Yeah, everyone's like the dad and Michael uh, and Mike seem pretty fed up about this but at least it's not vegan at least there's cheese around so there's some yeah, kind of flavor gonna, in there for him i was gonna say come back to me right when you have boiled tempeh eh? <laughs> eh? tofu burgers then we'll then there and then you'll know pain also um this made me think about that 2015 and, and whether someone's just sort of deleted and replaced one date with another because this does sound like mid-90s health food it pasta does and broccoli it? with I mean, cheese I mean, it's possible that R.L. Stein got so wealthy writing Goosebumps that he just has never bothered to look at what's going on in the world around him, and is just sort of uh, just sort of writing narrative out of his kind of late eighties, mid nineties kind of hindbrain. The yeah. other indicator of that, by the way, would be the fact that the dad, the mum, doesn't get a name in the entire narrative. She's just honey <laughs> the whole time. Um, classic. The dad, however, is called Herman. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I thought like, a German name, like so it makes sense with the Black uh, you Forest know what? clock. That is solid because in my head, that's the same as you know Bart Simpson's dad being called Homer, sort of being vaguely believable in 1989 when the Simpsons started. <laughs> yeah, but nobody's been called Homer ever since, and not only because everybody now would make think of Homer Simpson, but there's just no. It's one of those sort of dad names that like like the same way there's nobody our age called Clive, you know, yeah. just. 
<laughs> no one. There's not a single person our age called Clive, and I would be willing to put money on that, right? But but somehow there's loads of people my dad's age who are called Clive in the same way. I feel like it's that, and so I feel like I really do think a find replace might have taken taken place with these dates because <laughs> the copyright page. This is really interesting. The copyright page contains a plug for. Do you know they did the Goosebumps movie in 2015 with yeah. um with Jack Black, and they've just done another one. Yeah. Um, that like it contains a plug for that now in 2015 the goosebumps motion picture event you know all of that yeah. and at which point i'm like did you just go through all of the books and find replace the dates like add 20 <laughs> years to that and then do nothing else to change the whole setting of the books never <laughs> mind that like older slightly out of date thing you know that just adds to the creepiness of most narratives that that's actually the main thing that most creepy narratives do in order to feel creepy is to set yeah. them in kind of a recent past that's recent enough to be recognizable but odd enough to be deset- unsettling you know um yeah they just haven't bothered. They've just gone through and changed every instance of 1995 to 2015 and just let it let it ride. And there was one <laughs> bit where, because he talks about, doesn't he, needing to use the internet for his homework. Yeah, I was going to say this, yeah. In 2015, and he took right. on the desktop computer to yeah. use the internet. In the office, there's only one place in the house where there's an internet connection. And he all but talks about liking the sound of the dial-up modem doing its <laughs> boom, boom, ding, 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 ding. Um, I feel like, having said that, we should explain for the benefit of anybody who didn't grow up in our generation, yeah, that's a really realistic thing to have written in 1995, that there would be (laughs) one computer-enabled device in the entire house, there would be no wireless network, and you would have to dial up using a thing that sounded like it was trying to communicate with the deep past from the deep future. Yeah, all of those the, things that, are that's true. the real horror isn't it that, write a book about that that's that terrifying sad, that's amazing <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> the dastardly dial up <laughs> um so yeah i think that's pretty conclusive then from this chapter that this was written way before 2015 uh, absolutely but anyway, um so he uh michael goes into the into the room and has a look at the clock alone and he's having a, he's thinking, yeah, it does look creepy. It is strange. And then he opens the big sort of clock door and a green monster bursts out and grabs him and knocks him to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> now, at this point, Dave, I thought, uh, well, I, I thought, yeah, whatever. This is clearly going to be bollocks. It's probably just some, you know, maybe some like streamers or something and he's got yeah. all scared. Yeah. But then the next line... Um, the monster sort of like throws him on the floor and goes in his face. And I've just written, <laughs> it's fucking real. <laughs> it got you. It got you, Matt. This narrative <laughs> grabbed you by the balls. It had you. Next line, it's Tara in a Halloween oh. costume. <laughs> oh, right, okay, okay. So, bringing me to the first of my reflections upon the character of Tara and of her parents, and we'll... we'll I'll, because the, the the parental response to this scenario is like grade A uh, wanker behaviour. But before <laughs> that, so what's happened is Tara, who's seven years old, but I mean seven, let's a seven-year-old girl, right, has noticed that her older brother, for some reason, has this like unquenchable hatred 
for her, her <laughs> yeah, 12 year old really older does. brother right <laughs> and they you don't know, spend any time interacting really in the course of like life outside the home so why i couldn't tell you anyway she does <laughs> hates him and um decides to express this by climbing like by going and finding a, a, a monster outfit getting dressed in it going and standing inside the clock like for how long we don't know on the off chance that he's going to open the door and try and have a quick shifty inside <laughs> right I, <laughs> and like waits there patiently again this is a seven-year-old girl waits there patiently to jump out at him right and 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 surprise him and uh, and and you know ha lol epic ruffle and so on or whatever mm. they would have said in 1995 when this was written um <laughs> Several questions. Um, moving past the idea of a seven-year-old girl having this kind of attention span at all. Mm. Um, <laughs> so hiding inside the clock strikes her as a good idea. Never mind that clocks like this, like they're not known for being, you know, good, kind, they're well-balanced sort of things. There's a very real chance mm. this thing will fall over, smash itself into pieces, and they'll just be here uh, inside in a monster costume, horribly <laughs> injured. And that, Matt, that's your real Halloween story there, isn't it? How the fuck did she get inside a clock in a monster costume? How? That's what everybody's asking themselves. But also, she jumps out, and she's very confident in the fact that she can get dressed up, hide in the thing, wait there for as long as it takes, that her brother will definitely come in, open the door and have a look. And that she'll be able to jump out and physically overpower him. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if you've seen many fights between, you know, 12 year old, 12 year old boys and their seven year old younger sisters. <laughs> By a weird chance, I have seen one or two because my nephews and nieces are roughly uh, that far apart. Uh, it does not go well for the younger party. I have to tell you, <laughs> it, it does not go well, any fight of that nature. <laughs> you said it could could have got pretty dark pretty quickly if you sort of fight off fight off light kicked in and he decided to try and kill the monster. <laughs> Just, ah, fucking boom boom! <laughs> I grabbed the weight of the grandfather clock. My hands closed around its cold lead heft. There was only one thing left to do. <laughs> Again, that would have been a better Halloween story, or probably a bit off brand for Goosebumps. I think it might be fair to say. Yeah. Bit dark. Well, luckily it's it's just hijinks. Um, so she's she's jumped on him. <laughs> it's just hijinks. I, sorry, come. Yeah, in comes Dad, um, and <laughs> Dad's like, "What happened here?" Then, and Tara just says, "Oh, Michael was messing around with the clock, and I tried to stop him." In a Halloween costume. Yeah, and it's not mentioned. His dad, his dad doesn't go. I mean, even the most terminally like out to lunch of disengaged parents would probably go, right, and the fact that you're wearing a monster outfit's got nothing to do with this situation. Not at all. And he goes with it. He just doesn't mention the costume, completely believes her, leading us to the third absolutely crazy bonkers go nuts out to lunch thing that this seven-year-old has decided about her her plan, which is that her jumping out of the clock on her older brother is going to lead to her older brother being blamed for messing around with the clock. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Daddy was hiding inside it in the the space that's barely big enough for me in a costume. Yeah, him, the (laughs) 12-year-old, he was in there. Not me at all, and the costume is immaterial to the situation. 
Yeah, have him. <laughs> it's because she knows his mum and dad hate him. <laughs> she, yeah. anything she, says. <laughs> <laughs> she could be and, she could be punching him in the face as she's saying this, and the dad would yeah. be like, "Yeah, Michael, stop it! Stop, stop injuring it. your sister's fist with your face." <laughs> <That's it. laughs> stop hitting yourself, Michael. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> Um, we we get a rundown of Michael's birthday just to just to hammer home the point of how much his parents hate him. Um, <laughs> not the, I mean, uh, not the only way in which Stein party. chooses to hammer home this point. By the way, sorry, carry on. <laughs> the birthday party. They get him a new bike, and Tara scratches it, um, and Michael gets blamed. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and it happens in front of them as well. <laughs> it's glorious. He jumps on it, throws it on the floor, scratches it, and he goes, the fuck, man? And his parents are like, oi, she can scratch things if she wants, all right? That's fine. Um, then his party starts. Mona turns up, who's this girl that Michael has a crush on. I quite like yeah. this line. I love how sort of, um, like, just classically, like, cold... That are ch- like to like really blunt how really blunt a children can be when he's just right as if Michael's written this. Said Mona looked great. I didn't care what the other girls were wearing. <laughs> <laughs> that has there ever been a more powerful and in its own way poetic expression of love? That is one for the ages. What that is? <laughs> yeah, you could put that on a you know a timeless you know a timepiece like a watch. <laughs> You look Carve great. It on the bottom of the I didn't wife. care what the other girls were wearing. I didn't care. That's amazing. That's a quote for the wedding stationery, isn't it? Quote, <laughs> I didn't care what the other girls were wearing. <laughs> it could be a tagline of like some kind of some kind of perfume or something. <laughs> she looked great. <laughs> I didn't care what the other girls were. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, that was what you need, isn't it? You need the like the kind of like soft softly lit blowing chiffon. You know, and then, you know, whoever it is, Nicole Kidman or whatever, turns to the camera and just goes, whatever it is, <laughs> Chanel number five. I didn't care what the other girls were wearing. <laughs> um, the, the rest of the party doesn't get much better. Uh, Tara tells um, Mona that Michael likes her, which is really embarrassing for him. She then opens all of his presents, which is fine. Like, no one bats an eyelid about that. Again, are like, yeah, seems legit. <laughs> and then she trips him up while he's carrying his cake, and Michael gets blamed for that. Worst <laughs> party ever. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> like, just... The very idea that even if a kid did fall over while carrying his own birthday cake, your response would be something other than, oh, that's really, that's, that's a huge shame. I'm so sorry. You must be very upset. But they don't, they go straight to, what a klutz. <laughs> what a useless wanker. My <laughs> son it, is. Isn't it? His parents just standing there, hands on hips, going, why? Why? Hey, why did we have you? Hmm? Mm? <laughs> So, chapter four, it gets worse. I mean, poor guy. <laughs> the thing is, so many things like happen, like bad things happen, that are so implausible. It's just so hilarious. It's like watching a cartoon character get knocked about. This. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But if, it, but it's kind of rendered in the first person prose. So it's kind of as if like a Tom and Jerry cartoon, but rendered from from the perspective of a bewildered and hurting Tom. <laughs> Dear diary, it happened again. Hit me with a frying pan. My face went flat. I don't know. All I wanted to do was play. 
Dear diary, uh, dear, painted a painted a mouse hole on the skirting board. I decided to go in and see if he fancied a little bit of a kickabout. He did. He kicked me about. <laughs> Chapter four, then it gets worse. Um, at school, they've been doing a play called The Frog Prince. Michael's playing the frog. <laughs> of course, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Not the prince. He's the frog. He's the he says frog. it's good though because he gets to he gets to kiss Mona. Um, we, so we then, we then go back to sort of just before this play, um, and we can add uh, animal abuse to the rap sheet for um, for his sister because she's currently upsetting the cat trying to make it walk on its hind legs, um, and she won't stop when Michael tells him to. The girls turn up at the door. And Michael decides he wants to surprise them in his frog costume. I've just put, oh, Mike. Questionable decision-making there, Mike. I know you want to put your glad rags on. You want to look as good as possible, but frog outfit. He's such a little geek, isn't he? Yeah. I want to surprise them in my frog costume. There's a sort of there's, there's a sort of beautiful innocence to it, though, isn't there? The kind of like, yeah. this will be really funny. They'll get a massive kick out of it. And later on, it seems that Mona was going to be into it, like in the in the costume. Like there was going to be some, there was there there was a certain amount of desire on her part to see Michael wearing a frog outfit. <laughs> Michael makes. I mean, he doesn't help himself, Michael. Really, in these um, here, he decides to go upstairs and put on his frog costume, and he tells his sister, you know, that the girl who's got a pathological hatred of him and presumably spends. All the time, just thinking up ways to humiliate him. <laughs> he says, "Could you just just tell uh, Mona and these other girls to wait in the den, you know, under no circumstances bring them up to my room while I'm in my underpants." <laughs> <laughs> uh, rookie error, mate. Rookie error. Yeah. I, so your description of uh, of Tara there makes me realise that what we're dealing with here is, I think our. <laughs> If this was written in '95, this this can't be the case. But if this was actually written just really poorly in 2015, um, what's happened is R.L. Stein has seen Family Guy, like the early Family Guy, where the joke was Stewie was a pathological murderer in the form of a nine-month-old baby, and um, and that's it. That's what's happened. That's 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 uh, like this is just Stewie as a girl grown into a seven-year-old with all those yeah. plans. <laughs> so Michael gets caught in his undercrackers. Uh, another disaster. Uh, there's more, Dave. <laughs> um, he goes playing basketball at school um, with this this massive tough guy called Kevin Flowers. Um, and while Ke- while they play- Kevin Kevin Flowers, who in no way is making up for his his surname <laughs> with other behaviour. Yeah, um, and while he's playing, Tara frames him by like hiding the guy's cap in his bag, so he gets an absolute ass kicking. I mean, <laughs> it's just relentless. It's it's brutal, and like, there's a bit of me that's a bit like again, seven year old deviousness, mm, really. But also, the description of of the pounding he's taken doesn't he say like his nose was where his eyes should have been or something. <laughs> He's like difficult for me not to take literally. <laughs> At which point, literally the only saving grace of this book is that in this particular instance, his parents don't find a way to blame it on him. Um B, 
because even the author seems to be just really loving taking this kid absolutely to pieces. Like it's <laughs> it's quite one thing to be caught in your underwear by a girl you quite like. It's it's another thing entirely to have the living shit kicked out of you to the point that it rearranges <laughs> your facial features and that it's all played as like the setup for a my sister's so evil gag. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, at the end of this, he says, this is a bit of a chilling line, he says, now you know why I did the terrible thing I did. And... <laughs> Once again, the lead weight of the of the grandfather <laughs> clock comes out, doesn't it? <laughs> and then, it's really weird, this, because it's, it's fiction that's working so hard to be creepy and, like, freak you out and, and like, odd. But, uh, of course, it is, it's for tweens so it's fundamentally quite tame and the problem is i am not a tween and i have read a lot more horrifying fiction than this so so like leaving a cliffhanger like the terrible thing i did next i'm suddenly like my brain is populated with everything from like sort of you know this like murder of the week stuff um kind of uh you know like uh the uh, murder fiction and um uh, and and like and uh, the Wasp Factory, the Ian Banks novel that we did, and stuff like that. And I'm like, Steiny, baby, um, terrible now has a different meaning for me. How dark are you going to go, mate? <laughs> well, chapter five is going to use the clock to try to frame her. Um, basically, turn the tables on Tara. Okay. Um, he, he sneaks downstairs. Oh, waits for the. Uh, okay, sorry, sorry. Before go you on. do this. Now that we've got through the relentless barrage of reasons that Tara is the Antichrist, and 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 the like, number of times that his parents have like gone out, bent over backwards to make anything bad she does his fault, right? Yeah. I have a question. <laughs> Why? What is going on in the relationship between parents and son and parents and daughter here that's making them so consistently, uh, like like anything like he could she he could literally like be be shot to death <laughs> by this girl and they would walk in and and the eulogy would contain the phrase if only he hadn't got in the way of the bullet she was innocently firing, <laughs> like that's how I feel about this this family dynamic at this point and. I have a theory about why that might be, but I'm interested to hear why you think it might be. <laughs> Maybe they're just living in fear of her. Maybe, she... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they know that she is like some kind of cold killer and they are so terrified that they can't... Maybe they tried to bollock her once when she was like three and it ended Barely really got badly for them. <laughs> got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> she's got some kind of like telekinetic powers or something that's it baby Carrie that's what's walls. going on yeah. okay <laughs> uh, that, is a, that is a solid one I had something going uh, on a slightly different angle definitely the they are frightened of her thing but my thing was what if she is a somehow a mob informer who has been <laughs> has been given protective custody with this family and rules them all like it's the mob. So just off camera in all of these things, she's just sort of just pacing around the floor, talking to her terrified, quote-unquote, parents. <laughs> this is a lovely house. It'd be such a shame if something were to happen to it. <laughs> Listen, the feds have put me here. You don't like it. I quite like it. 
but we're stuck with the situation. So don't make me kill any more puppies, all right? <laughs> like just some sort of like horrifying malevolence. Like like she was awful, but she was used as the way to get to Capone, and uh, and 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 so they're just absolutely shit scared of this, you know, this miniature mafia dom in their yeah. presence. That's why I think protective custody is the is the thing. <laughs> well, bearing in mind that for whatever reason, the sort of gritty determination that his parents have to blame everything on Michael. I'm not quite sure why he thinks this plan's going to work, but he's going to sneak yeah. downstairs, vandalise the clock, go back to bed, and hope that his parents blame Tara. <laughs> I've got news for him. They're not going to be blaming Tara for this. Even if this goes to plan, he's getting his catching hell for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I almost would have enjoyed that more, a more sort of social realist take on this story, rather than the twist that's about to happen. If it had just been, he came down in the morning and his parents were like, what the fuck do you do to the clock? It was Tara. Yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was Tara. Yeah. It was you. Fix it. No more school for you, no more food. Like, take it in a really sort of Roald Dahl situation, you know. Live under the floorboards. Yeah, so he sneaks downstairs. He twists this cuckoo's head around, um, which is like quite a funny like bit of vandalism. Yeah, for a well, child today, particularly given the image on the front of the book, which was one of the reasons why I was so excited about reading this book for, for Halloween. Because because I have no idea how the cuckoo clock is the cuckoo clock of doom. I thought it was a fairly unconvincing antagonist since cuckoo clocks can't move. So all you've got to do is walk into a different room. Um, but but the, the front cover of this, of the, the, the edition that I've got, like the bird is shooting out of the clock into the foreground of the image. And it's it's looking at the camera as though it's it's some combination of like, like sardonic, like recently done a shit in your shoes and you don't know about it yet, and stoned. Like somewhere between smug and stoned with a kind of sarcastic expression on its face is where it is. And I was like I I, I well, I have to read this book now to know what how that expression is justified in, in the story of the thing. <laughs> Little did I know that all that was going to happen to this cuckoo clock was that its head was going to be turned around. So a better expression would be a sort of slightly strangulated, tongue sticking out of the side, warline <laughs> kind of expression. Would have been a lot better. I think it's got the kind of expression that it would have if a cuckoo had its head twisted round but was none the worse the were for it. I was just like, oh, what was that for? Oh, God. I've been put in another house with another rival brother and sister team one-upping themselves around this fucking clock. So he wakes up the next day, but no one's angry with him for the clock. No one's angry about the clock. The clock doesn't exist because it's his birthday again. They all say, happy birthday. And the, the day starts to replay. Uh, Mike hasn't cottoned on to this yet. He's a, he's a bit slow on the uptake, Mike. This um, means to chapter six. He, got, he goes downstairs, like, we've got a bike for you, and he's still sort of not aware of what's happening here. Um, he goes in. He, he find, this is the, the bike is the point where he gets the bike, Tara scratches it again, and Mike finally realises he's, he's living through the same day. 
And he says, do I have to live through the whole party again? Uh, chapter seven, yes. <laughs> it says yes. <laughs> yes. And it, in many ways, Matt, it would have been a, a more lightweight read if it had just been the word yes for that chapter. Chapter eight. <laughs> Ch- chapter eight, yes. Chapter nine, what happened after that was... So we do go through the day again. There's the Mona confession, the present opening, the CD, all the stuff that Tara did last time she does again, and Michael lets it happen again. Yeah. Um, uh, right, so so this this sort of leads me to a slightly strange digression. Um, Because it seems to me that Goosebumps, it's fairly clear from this, takes place in a solid-state universe where fate is fixed from the moment of the very first atom and nothing can change. Mm. Or at this point, anyway. This narrative, it is definitely the horror of it comes from the fact that he can't change any of this, right? Yeah. And he tries, and it all happens anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which which is pretty bleak. Like, there's not a lot of people who've written time travel fiction in a universe where nothing can be changed, precisely because that means you haven't got a plot. Um, It's kind of ballsy of R.L. Stein to go out on this limb and be like, yep, yep, no, nothing could change. I'm just going to re-describe it all again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, is it nothing can change, or is it that it's just very, very difficult to change things? Uh... Um, Chapter 8 is this... Yeah, this shows that it's one of the two. Because this is the bit with the cake, and he's thinking, right, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to end up on my ass again with my face in this Nobody cake. cake being blamed for somebody else's misfortune. <laughs> and he walks out carefully. He still trips over because Tara's under the table. Ugh. And it just, the day's, day ends like shit day, sent to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Made entry in diary at the end of the day. Simply reads, bugger. <laughs> if he if he knew this was on the cards because he do, obviously does, he could have tried harder to get Tara out of the room or something. But anyway, yeah. Well, um, although I I mean, one begins to kind of, as you say, he's quite a geek, and I have no stones to throw <laughs> at people who were quite geeky when they were twelve. But at the same time, he really lacks effectiveness here, doesn't he? He's been given another <laughs> roll of the dice, and you'd think that he would just go all out to get her out of the room. Or, or maybe just say, Mum, can you carry the cake in? Yeah, I mean, that's not difficult. <laughs> hey, Mum, it's my birthday. I sort of don't want to do very much of the old survey survey. So would you mind? Maybe he just knows that there's no point asking that question because he's not, he's, he's not Don Tara. He's not, he's not the miniature mafia Don. So there's just nothing to be done. He's like, of course, I've got to carry the cake, even though I'm definitely going to trip over because I'm not Tara. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe Tara's already said to his mum, look, he's carrying the cake in. And she's gone, what? She's gone, he's carrying the cake in. Okay, of course, of course. As she's sort of, of course. Like, as, 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 as Tara's saying that, she's got some like priceless crystal glass in her hand. She's like, I think she's just the cake in. It's like in the same tone of voice as Marcellus Wallace would say, he takes a dive in the ninth. He takes a, he's carrying the cake, all right? He takes, he's carrying he takes a the dive cake. with the cake. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally taking a dive, all right? Um, so then he goes to bed after his shit, his shit birthday number two. Has a nightmare in that the, he has the birthday again, but the 
all the people in it are monsters this time. He wakes uh. up at three in the morning. He goes into his mum and dad's room to tell them that he's reliving the same day again and again. Um, and they don't believe him. <laughs> do, do they respond with astonishing lack of sympathy? Uh, chapter nine. I, so well, got... I, have to, I have to say, actually, uh, that, that response, that 3am response, no matter how sympathetic the parent character is in the work of fiction that you're making, speaking as a parent, there's no way being woken up at three in the morning and being told that your child is in the middle of a Goosebumps plot is going to get anything other than go to sleep. We'll talk about it at breakfast. I don't care. Go to sleep. <laughs> I've wet the bed. Put your trunks on. Please, yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You know where the bin bags are. <laughs> so chapter nine he's realised now that he's going back in time and he thinks well the way to fix it is just to turn the cuckoo's head back round goes downstairs to do it no clock because they've not bought it yet that was quite oh, neat he's I been like undone that. by logic yeah <laughs> which which was not a foregone conclusion in the middle of this plot by the way that logic would be what would take you to pieces but reared its head at the worst possible moment <laughs> yeah, so chapter 10, yes, of course, it's five days before they bought the clock. So he asks his mum and dad, where's the clock? And they say, we don't own it. And he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh, yeah, my bad, my bad. He, he has another go at trying to explain what's happening at breakfast. Of course, no dice. No one believes him. Um, None of it. He, go, <laughs> he goes to school. Um, he has to relive his day in the classroom, um, which we hadn't seen yet, but it's probably... Pretty bad. Do his parents it's, turn up halfway through to take him out of school and give him another bollocking for something somebody else has done? <laughs> um, I was gets, there, but at least I wasn't at home with my parents. <laughs> he gets scratched by the cat again, and then we're on to the Frog Prince evening again with his costume. <laughs> he makes another attempt, chapter 11, another attempt to change history. He sits on the bottom step of the stairs and says, no, I'm not going to try it on. Um, but he's forced to go and try it on anyway. Um, but he thinks, ah, I'll lock my door. So he locks his door, strips to his undercrackers, and then the door bursts open because the lock's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was sort of wondering like how how the whole thing about his dad fixing the lock on his bedroom door was going to come <laughs> yeah. back into the plot. Because I'll level with you, Matt. And I think most 12-year-old boys would cop to this. Um, that's really not where you would expect the story. to. If, the, if, there's, a, if there's a plot point about, about the bedroom door not being lockable, <laughs> the outcome of it is not slight embarrassment when somebody walks in with you just, you know, not w- without a T-shirt on. That's not the way that goes, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll say no more. I'll just say watch the in-betweeners. That's all I'll say. Uh, yeah, I mean... Part of the reason why it's hard to have a great deal of sympathy for Michael is just how ineffective he is at trying to change his life. <laughs> God, in a way, that's the horror of this book, isn't it? Is the fact that even given a second chance, he just doesn't have the toolkit that he needs in order to to change anything. Like that's horrifying. Yeah. He has um he has peas, carrots, mushrooms, and brown rice for tea. I've just drawn another sad face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean I have to eat this again? <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. <clears throat> no, not even got any cheese this time. Um, <laughs> he tries to convince his family again about what's happening. That's another go. Why not? 
Um, but this time, his mum and dad exchange glances. They know something's up. And they say, we're caught in a time warp. <gasps> it's like, wow, mum and dad are in it. Chapter 12 yeah. as well. Then everything starts going backwards. Like, people start talking backwards, walking backwards. It's a massive practical joke. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Bringing me to a question. How? <laughs> how how if we're going back in time and every single day he experiences he's the only one experiencing the fact that it's happened before and he's moving backwards this isn't his parents have heard him say something and they think it's kind of stupid and they're trying to break him out of this kind of mad stupid belief by doing this no no they've just from an absolute standing start <laughs> collectively all three of them decided in a very elaborate way to be utter pricks to their 12 year old son it's genius <laughs> <laughs> including giving a 7 year old lines to say backwards including the word moron spelled backwards yeah yeah not only are they saying wind him up by like talking backwards they're also saying and call him a fucking moron yeah yeah like, get in his it. face tara <laughs> really get in his useless him. face <laughs> <laughs> just all sat around the table before he's come down we're going to play a trick on your useless wanker. Of a <laughs> Here he comes, knob end. Go on, when he sits down, we all start going backwards, all right? Remember Dad's, what we told you to say? Dad's sitting there just like shaking with subdued anger over how much of a disappointment his son is. <laughs> which he hates him. He doesn't care in the slightest bit about clocks. He knows nothing about our heritage in the Black Forest in Germany. <laughs> Fuck him. Right, everybody. <laughs> oh dear so um, yeah massive practical joke D- his dad says it's, it's just deja vu what's the matter with you <laughs> he, says, he just says it's deja vu fuckface what's the matter with you yeah, it's deja- <laughs> but like but in a way which seems to imply that he kind of knows about this before but actually he doesn't again he's just being a complete knob cheese <laughs> he's, he uh, smashes some peas in Tara's face just uh, presumably just takes the punishment for it <laughs> Um. <laughs> you know what? It's worth a day in the hot box. Have the peas. <laughs> Smell my peas, your mother. <laughs> because he knows what's coming. He goes yeah. to school and it's Super Michael beat him up too. As, yeah. uh, as he gets, he gets knocked <laughs> about Tony Flowers at every scold. Uh, yeah, so that's that. And the next day, he doesn't recognise anyone at school in class. That's the cliffhanger for 12, by the way. I mean, it's not quite up there with One Day in Horrorlands. We went down the slide, it was quite fast, then it ended. That was was one of the the cliffhangers in One Day at Horrorland. But I have to say, I walked into my classroom and I was confused. (laughs) That's not exactly eldritch horror, is it? That's more Wednesday. Maybe only Um, in my education, yeah, so it's after 13, it turns out he's in the wrong class. So he gets sent out, he realises the sink's too high in the bathroom, and then he finally puts it together. He's regressed four years, so Ooh. time's speeding up. Uh, Overnight as well, grade. like, that would, that was a curveball to me, I don't know about you. Yeah, I thought it was quite, this is quite good. It's like, whoa, oh, yeah. Four shit. years? Mind you though, I did then, I wondered, because I was doing maths, because again, geek, I was thinking, right, you've gone back a day... And then two days, 
and then four years. Like, that's quite a jump, and you're clearly accelerating. So how big's the gap going to be next time? Like, I know that you're going to try and build up some sense of it's all over, you know, it's going to be over so soon, but... This is this is like this is going to be all over. You know, the next thing he knows, he's going to be he's going to be two glasses of wine too many on a honeymoon night. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's regretfully he goes into his old classroom where a teacher that has retired um, in the present day is back. Mrs. That's Harris. Horrifying. That's horrifying. Who's back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Matt? Is she in there doing Eminem though? Is she? Because if she's not, that's an enormous shame. <laughs> yeah, she's got Tara next to her. She's going, I've created a monster. Um, Tara's three now, but she's still the sister from hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, once again, stretching credulity here. A seven year old who's developed malevolence, I can understand. A three year old, a fucking three year old who's got the wherewithal to scheme. Feels a bit much. Yeah, but yeah, how far back does this hatred of Michael go from his family? But yeah, anyway, he does think, if this goes on, what's going to happen to me? I'm getting younger and younger. I'm Benjamin Button in it. Chapter 14, he wakes up, he's got cowboy clothes laid out on his bed. It's not some sort of elaborate trolling from his mum, it's because he's in the second grade. Um, So he puts them on, goes downstairs... Tara asks for a kiss. She's now a baby, by the way, and pokes him in the eye straight away. <laughs> that was quite funny. Kiss? <laughs> kiss? Pfft, have it, motherfucker. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So he leaves the house, someone kicks him on his ass on the way out the door, I assume. Um, he decides to go to the antique store. That's how nice. he fixes it. Yeah. Because the clock's there, of course. Should have thought so- of doing that a couple of days ago, shouldn't he? Well, yeah, quite. So he manages to get on the bus, age seven, gets to the antique shop. It's closed. They're away on vacation, Dave. Uh, Oh, no. What are they to do? Chapter 15, he howls in frustration. (laughs) (laughs) Ow! Um... (laughs) <laughs> this the image of this made me laugh out loud. <laughs> this little seven year old, he, he thinks, "Well, I've got to get in there to to fix it." So he go, he wanders over to the construction site and tries to pick up a brick in like the most like <laughs> like classic like nothing, nothing to see here way possible. He's How old is he supposed cool. to be at this point? He's supposed to be seven, seven years old, wandering <laughs> around with a half brick, casing out the local antiques. <laughs> <laughs> he walks back with his brick, took, looks left, looks right, raises it above his head, and someone grabs him from behind. Um, chapter 16 is Dad. And um, Dad here proves um, it's not just he hates his, he hates his son. Um, do you know what we said about the Halloween costume thing? He is just naturally spectacularly unobservant. Because he's just he just grabs his son as his seven year old son's holding this brick over his head by a shop window, about to throw it through it, and it's just not mentioned at all. He's like, "Hey, how you doing, son?" <laughs> yeah, it's not even. Hey, I saw that you brought me that half brick, like covering, you know, like retconning the situation so that he hasn't just caught his son about to commit a crime. No, just 
Yeah. Hi, son. I'm really happy to see you. Clunk. <laughs> Not awesome. even what was that? Just, yeah. I... <laughs> How do you oh. miss a half brick? <laughs> oh, what the hell are you doing wandering around outside an antique shop? You're seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as we have seen, seven-year-olds in this book can act in surprisingly perspicacious ways. So, like, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, he doesn't find it weird that... It, well, he doesn't find it concerning that his son is about to put a brick through a window and is also running amok in the town centre alone, age seven. Um but he says, oh, I know you like that clock. I'll buy it one day. And Michael's like, oh, that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no! <laughs> Chapter 17. Um, he wakes up. He's in a blue room. He's confused for a minute. Then he remembers this is his old room. He's now wearing dinosaur pyjamas. So every cloud, you know. He's wearing cool pajamas. It's going badly, but on the other hand, T Rexes. So hmm? <laughs> he's now five. Speaking of every cloud, there's now no Tara. So um, he's pretty pleased with that. Um, he <laughs> he's told to tie his laces, so he does it, and his mum's shocked because he can do it. Age five. <laughs> His dad, like, gives his mum a look, saying, like, it took him long, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, even in those moments, his parents <laughs> are in this kind of, like, we hate this child kind of moment. Because they do it again later, don't they? Where, like, kind of, they're sort of like, took you fucking long enough, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they think he's, like, needs testing or something, don't they? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, crazy. He's now in kindergarten. Which is what, yeah, where you go. It's like reception class in England, I think. Um, but he gets picked up straight after school now. They don't let him ride the bus. He's, he's five, Dave. He's not seven. He's not riding the bus yet. So um, they pick him up after school, take him home. Wakes up again. Chapter 18. He's now four. Four, Dave. He goes to nursery. He pretty, plays pretty bleak. Is he going to get another half brick? Because this could get dark pretty quickly. <laughs> he plays with Mona in the sandpit. It turns out that when he was four, Mona bullied him. Um, Bloody hell, this kid! <laughs> she was sort of proto-Tara. Yeah. Um, she's like, she tickles him, she gets the other kids to gang up on him, she makes him climb a tree, and he gets halfway up the tree and then remembers that it was four when he broke his arm and promptly falls out the tree. <laughs> Breaks his arm! <laughs> he's, I mean, he's not getting any better at sidestepping the bullets he can literally see coming. <laughs> No. Chapter 19. He wakes up. He's, he's behind bars, Dave. He's caged. <laughs> <laughs> he's in a crib. He's a toddler. He's one. Right. I mean, right. there's not much further you right. can go back here before we start having to find a PG-13 way of talking about his parents getting it on and being hugely <laughs> disappointed nine months later, as, as surely they would be because of how they've been disappointed ever since. <laughs> I, and yeah. so at this point, I am looking at the how much time is there left in this book and where exactly is this is this plot going to go, you know. I've got to be honest, at this point, I was thinking, I genuinely can't see a way out for him here. And like, this is this is really, it is really quite interesting, the book, because there is some genuine jeopardy here. I'm thinking, I'm, I've no idea how this is going to turn out. And I would genuinely wouldn't be massively surprised if he just disappeared. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> throughout the book so far, he's shown absolutely no ability to fix anything in his situation. So Yeah, that would be quite a downbeat ending, wouldn't it? And so I passed into nothingness. Darkness <laughs> took me. The end. <laughs> Chapter 20. He's, he's bored to fuck. He's, he's playing with his rattle, his mooing farm animal toy. Imagine <laughs> if you're like, yeah, you're 12 and you're stuck with these toys all day. Um, yeah. He tries to... <laughs> his mum says, we're going to take you to see Daddy. And he thinks, that's a chance to get to the antique shop. And then he, and he tries, he says, I tried to say, if you don't take me to the antique shop, I'm going to throw myself out of my crib and smack my head open. But what he actually says is, Dada. He's like, oh, <laughs> shit. Fuck. I've lost the ability to be vaingloriously over, over, oh, this is awful. I, 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 I. <laughs> but he gets a stroke of luck because they go and see his dad and it turns out they're going to go and buy a table. And they think the antique shop could be just the place for it. Uh, is there hope, Matt? Might there be hope? Chapter 21, Dave. Um, oh, so at the end of chapter 20, the clock isn't in the antique shop. Start oh. chapter 21. It, it is in there, really. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got to remember to do all of these cliffhangers, Matt, because every last one of them is gold. <laughs> Now, he does that thing that one-year-olds do where he, he does have some power in that he can act up enough so he gets put on the floor. So he does that. Yeah. He's on the floor. Step one, yeah. complete. And then his dad, his mum and dad start arguing over this table. So he crawls as fast as his little stumpy legs can carry him over to the cuckoo clock. Just as the cuckoo clock begins to strike for 12. Uh. The little cuckoo comes out and it's there. Good job like, they were shit. there at 12, wasn't it? Rather than one or like, you know, walking into the shop at five past two in the afternoon. <laughs> what can I do to get us to stay minutes. here for 55 minutes? <laughs> yeah, so the clock, but the clock's chiming, Dave, but it only chimes 12 times and then it's gone. So chapter 22, he toddles over to a chair, pushes it over to the clock, climbs on it, the chair. What? By this He's a one-year-old? By this point, the cuckoo's clock's reached 10. And someone you know says, what? You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that R.L. Stein, if he was ever responsible for the care of a one-year-old, had not done that for many years before he wrote this book. <laughs> Pushing a chair over and climbing on the thing in the space of two cuckoos. This is the slowest cuckoo clock in the world. Does it just sort of come out in a sort of leisurely way right to the end of its thing and then take a breath and go... and then go back in again and that's one that's about as slow as it would need to be in order for that to work (laughs) someone shouts somebody grab that baby (laughs) (laughs) not before time I dare say you then notice the chair moving through the background (laughs) is that chair moving over there is that a one year old pushing a chair kudos Um, to the one year old yeah, um, chapter 23, he grabs the cuckoo and twists the head back round just in time. Um, and then his mum grabs him. He also oh. pushes the year button and gets it right so we can send him back to his normal, you know, his present day. And the shopkeeper sets it back. He's like, oh shit. But chapter yeah. 24, there's a flash oh. and he goes back to the present day anyway. Well, almost <gasps> the present, it's his birthday. Yeah. But with one key difference... No Tara. She's not been born. So 
he has the best <laughs> birthday ever. And he realizes the flaw in the clock is there's no <clears throat> 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not 1992. <laughs> Definitely not 1992. That's hilarious. <laughs> the year Tara was born. And he ends the he ends the book by saying, Maybe I'll go back and sort of get her one day. Maybe. He's not gonna, Dave. He's not gonna he does not care. Now, first of all, that is fucking bleak. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, what's he gonna do though? And why does like what's he gonna do? Go yeah, back and become yeah, as a one-year-old or whatever, or a five-year-old as he was at that age, um, become an expert in fashioning pieces that fit perfectly onto the faces of otherwise flawless German cuckoo clocks in order to create a portal in time so she's born. Like, I don't think he's got a choice. I, I think it's it's all over. And I think he knows it as well. I think he's just she's saying, oh, yeah, maybe I will. Not sure how I can, though. Um, probably better carry on living my best life. Here, without her. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was quite a quite a neat idea at the end. Mm. Just how, how she disappeared, and it's because there's a year missing in the clock. It's like, oh, yeah, interesting, mm-hmm. very interesting, very interesting indeed. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the book, Dave. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, um, uh, so my first thought actually is that while we've been talking, I did a cheeky Google. And discovered that it was indeed originally published in 1995. So somebody's just gone through and added 20 years to all of the dates. Right. Um, so that we can solve that mystery. Um, it is not the case that uh, that your better half in her mid-twenties was reading this and getting really scared. We have to assume that it was happening when she was far younger than that. And, and you know, thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> secondly, it's... It's, it's weird. It feels like more of a short story than One Day in Horrorland did. One Day in Horrorland felt like it had like phases. You know, it actually had like a plot and then another mm. plot and then another plot, and it was all developing towards something. This is more like the sort of short story that I honestly think I might have written in roughly nineteen ninety five. Less good prose. Um, I would have written less good prose. I am not claiming that I could have been published at eleven. That's not the case. Um, but. Um, but it, it is a bit more like the... It's not really the cuckoo clock of doom so much as it is the cuckoo clock of actually worked out quite well for me. <laughs> um, the, the, the cuckoo clock of erasing siblings I don't like very much um, is a bit... It's bleak. I'm not saying Tara doesn't deserve it as sketch. I just... <laughs> you know, this. it's so unbelievable that I do rather wonder whether this wasn't a sort of... There isn't a piece of metafiction to be written about this book where it's being written, you know, in an insane asylum by Michael trying to justify horrific <laughs> acts committed as a child. You know, no, no, I went back in time. That's she never existed, man. She was never there. Rather than, you know, I picked up the lead weight from inside the clock. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that, so that's why it's odd. Uh, I'd say more more Dan Brown than uh, One Day in Horrorland, but um, but not as bad as that, obviously, because nothing in the world is as bad as Dan Brown. Um, what what did you think of it? You know, for a Goosebumps book, I actually quite liked it. I, I liked the um, the sort of the last sort of I think the last sort of third of it 
really um like turned it into something that I actually quite enjoyed. I, I didn't enjoy uh, I, when I got about halfway through I remember thinking I'm going to struggle to do a podcast on this because I'm finding it actually quite dull. Yes, and then, I agree with that. Yeah, that's how I found it. <laughs> but when sort of like the the time reversal started speeding up and as things were getting faster and like more dangerous for him, he's getting closer to the abyss, he's also getting weaker because he's, he's getting so small he can't do anything. I actually thought that was actually, it was a really good, tense tale to tell. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah. and I quite I quite... I did find myself turning the pages quite quickly as I was going through thinking, oh, how is he going to get out of this? And like, is it really going to be? He just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the point, isn't it? Is that it is supposed to give you this sense of accelerating doom, you know, and, and that is done very, very well. And it does make you think, how's this going to work then? Yeah. Um, albeit that I sort of had a sense that something would be fine, you know, Um yeah, that, you know that it kind of was going to work out. So yeah, yeah, and also because Michael's so like laughably useless, it would actually still be quite funny if he did just disappear. <laughs> just an existential <laughs> comedy. Michael ceased to exist. He deserved it. The end. <laughs> Everybody at least manages to die, but not Michael. <laughs> he didn't even manage that. <laughs> <laughs> the many failures of Michael, twelve-year-old wanker. That's it, isn't it? Oh dear. Okay. Well, that's what we thought of it. Do you want to hear some reviews from around the internet? I certainly do, Matt. I'm. This is. I love Goosebumps reviews. I really do. <laughs> if you ever want to add your own reviews to any of the books we do, sharkliverallpodcast at gmail dot com is the email address. We've got a few. We always ask for five reviews between one and five stars. And we we troll the internet for some too. Carmen, give it three stars. Oh, just before we start these, not that many five star or one star reviews of this one. This is one of those books that sort of falls squirrely, for the most part, in the two to four star category. <laughs> <laughs> the shrug range, as we should call it. But Carmen gave it three stars. But despite only giving it three stars, said, this story knocked my socks off. It was creepy, funny, and had a great ending. This is definitely one of the better and more enjoyable Goosebumps books. Well, I've only I've only read one before, and out of that out of that two two man field, it, it's come in second. I have to say for me, but <laughs> yeah. if, if your mileage may vary. Fabulous. <laughs> I think this one had a better idea for a story. But I certainly laughed more in one day at Horrorland. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's true. I would say the same. Um, Callis gave it four stars, and he said the ending is a matter of opinion. You're either quite satisfied by it or horrified. My mother's reaction was the latter when she read this book to me as a kid. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Darcy gave it two stars. I've used quite a lot of Darcy's review because I enjoyed it. Um, he starts, Michael Webster is possibly the biggest whiner in history. He's 12 Solid. years old, Solid. yet somehow his seven-year-old sister is capable of completely destroying his life at every turn. <laughs> <laughs> Fr- frankly, it's pretty sad how a seven-year-old can fuck up a practical teenager's life so much, but I guess Mike is just a huge loser. 
That is true. There are two responses to this, aren't there? One is Tara's horrendous, and the other is Michael's a loser. Um, and I think both of those things are justified by the text. One of the best sequences in the book involves Mike telling his family about time going backwards and his entire family deciding to prank his dumbass by talking backwards and moving in reverse. Sounds like everyone just really hates Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they do, and I think that reflects poorly on them rather than reflecting poorly on Michael, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, uh, Darcy finishes by, I'll save a bunch of exposition and just get to the end where a baby Mike manages to push a chair over to the clock, climb it, and then grab this cuckoo head all in under 12 chimes of the clock, which is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and me, mate, you and me. We are on the same wavelength there. Uh, Pedro gave it three stars. Um, his his review is much shorter, but um, is really good. It's simply unintentional comedy at its finest. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. Uh, Ray, three stars. Um, uh, I thought this was good for the genre and the writing was good. After reading this, I saw I saw our dog asleep, as peaceful as always, and then our cat crept up slowly, laid down next to her as gently as possible, and then scratched her so she woke up. Terror lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I actually think she's called Tara, so it's a shame she's <laughs> got the name wrong. Tara but, um, the Terror. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he believes that the spirit of Tara lives on. Um, the final review I've got is Glenn, five stars. Uh, one of the few five stars I could find. And he says, This is our last <laughs> <laughs> Greeted as it was by a chorus of meh on the internet. Uh, Glenn gave it five stars. This is R.L. Stein's foray into time travel. It's a typical story about a boy caught in a time warp who keeps going further and further back through time after messing with an antique cuckoo clock. You know, that, those typical stories, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I really, who among us has not taken their swing of that old... <laughs> the, 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 that old the, genre. The, the, classic, the classic boy caught in a time warp who keeps going further and further back through time after messing with an antique cuckoo clock. That, yeah, that, that, I mean, that old chestnut. <laughs> I've taken three swings of that myself. Yeah, uh, Glenn says, I really like this one, and it's the first book in the series I ever remember reading. Great book for kids. Doesn't feel like a five-star review, does it? Feels <laughs> feels more like a perfectly fine three, 3.5 is what that kind of sounds like. I feel like he clicked on the wrong, um, the wrong star. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? I've clicked on the wrong, the only five star review this book has got is from somebody who, after posting it, went, "Oh shit!" Oh, never mind. <laughs> well, Dave, so ends our spooky special for this year, the Cuckoo Clock of Doom. Unfortunately, we have to leave the wonderful world of utterly useless Michael and his utterly terrifying pathological sister. That's very and go sad. Back I'm into not the real world. Although I'm not sure where else this this world would get to go, you know what I mean? Like I, there were there, there were times during this when I felt R.L. Stein, you know, palpably feeling like if he turned in fewer than a hundred pages, he was going to look lazy. You know, he, just for the sake of the look of the thing, he had to get it to about 110. <laughs> and that's and I think that's that's accurately reflected in the um, in the, the the quality of the world building here. <laughs> um, not sure where else he would go. Yardley going to get you know Cuckoo Clock of Doom two, 
it happens again somehow. <laughs> yeah, the world building isn't great when you can, you know, shift it forward 20 years by changing a couple of dates and almost get away <laughs> with it. <laughs> I need to use the internet in the home office with the wires. <laughs> okay, well, uh, if you're planning to go out trick-or-treating this Halloween, enjoy yourself. Hope you get some sweets and stuff. And if you come out of my door, you better say trick or treat. Because last year some kids came round and they they held up the, the sort of little, you know, thing, little bag. And I said, what do you say? And they went, please. I was like, no, you don't. You say no. trick or treat. <laughs> That's hilarious. You're actually training the children of your neighbourhood out of good manners. You're a Goosebumps villain waiting to happen, Matt, I'm telling you. Uh, next time we shall return with our uh, watch of Jurassic Park The Lost World yes Um, much promised and we shall deliver that until then Matt goodbye